Hello, my darlings, and welcome back to Radio Wasteland. I actually had a list of uh, taglines that I've been trying to work on here. But you're listening. all of them right now. No, no, I'm trying to work on it. I've been collecting some stuff. But let me tell you this first. You're listening to Radio Wasteland. This is a show about the paranormal and the conspiracy and UFOs and all that. And I'm your host, Chauncey Hallworth, and this is my co-host, Sean. How are you doing? Hello. Good. How's your week going? Uh, pretty uneventful here. I've I've really not been doing much almost at all. Finally got out of a hotel room in a rental area with my parents, and having my own room has apparently just destroyed any semblance of motivation I had to go out and do anything with my life, so I've just been, like, sleeping all week. Well, I gotta say, living in hotel rooms is, like, not very motivating. It's like... It motivates you to get anywhere, anywhere but here, anywhere right, else in yeah, the world. Yeah, yeah. So where are you staying now? Friends or did you uh, rent something? Or? N- no, I'm I'm currently living with my parents in the house that they rented before I go out and do something else. Right. So they rented something. So yes, that's they how you got something. out of a hotel, you know. Yes. <laughs> right. So are you suburban? Uh, we're actually in the same exact neighborhood as. So yes. We're in the same neighborhood where the house that burned down is. Really? So we're right down the street from You're down the street from your burned down house. house. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty odd. Have you ever seen the movie Gross Point Blank? I have not. Well, he leaves town and he ends up coming back and he goes back to his old house because he wants to, like, he's been gone for a decade and he's just mm-hmm. all, okay, well, i got to go back to my old house. And he, like, pulls up and it's now like a 7-Eleven. And he's just all... Well, apparently you can't go home, but apparently you can shop there. You know, it's like, <laughs> and so to live down the street from your burned down house, man, I, I don't, I'm not sure that's good for your parents. Yeah, I don't know what the thinking on that particular choice was, mm-hmm. to be honest. But hey, the whole neighborhood is just mauled right. by fire. Just you know, there's this hill here, and it looks like it's been fighting with all the other hills. There's just like patches of trees right. torn out of it. And, you know, it it's interesting to watch what humanity is capable of. So here we are with these amazing people going and fighting and people teaming, fighting the fire, mm-hmm. you know, and people teaming up and, like, helping one another. And then on my way here today, there's this neighbor of mine, and he does this every day. Um, like, I'm constantly looking out the window and seeing him. He's like this, you know, maybe pushing 40 um, shirtless, beer-gutted dude sure. with, like, hair that hasn't been combed. Smoking, the red in class. Smoking a cigarette while basically riding him around the block repeatedly on, like, a kid's hoverboard thing. One of those <laughs> things that's like a Segway but without the arm. Right. Right. And, like, he's just constantly, like, cruising around, standing straight, smoking a cigarette, shirtless, in my apartment complex. <laughs> Yeah, and so it's it's about, interesting right? to see the the span of what <laughs> of what humans are capable of. You know, uh, we're capable of. You know, I I'm sure I've said this on here before, but I used to work at this Bog Bean in Anderson, which was like a movie and 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 used bookstore and stuff like that. And and every day at like one. I'd be working and looking out the window, and I'd see this guy come riding by with a Raiders beanie on, riding what is obviously his kid's dirt bike, carrying a 40 in a paper bag at, like, 1.30 in the afternoon. And I'm, like, looking at him going, like, I either made some really good decisions in my life or some really bad ones because 
you know, what's up with that? Yeah. Well, know. you know, you say people are, are capable of pretty much anything in the right circumstances. That's true, but we're not under the wrong circumstances. We're pretty much useless. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, it, it, so it's just a matter of the environment, really. Yeah, I had a kid when I was 24, right? Um, Harley, our youngest. And um, it makes me wonder what type of person, because up until I had a kid, I was not exactly kicking ass in this world. Sure. You know, I was uh, off and on homeless, you know, uh, kind of whatever drugs. I was kind of, you know, doing my thing and it, nothing. I, I had nothing. And so I had this kid, and then all of a sudden I have to step my life up. Right. And, and you know, <laughs> it was 17 and a half years ago at this point. And, and, like, I do often wonder, like, man, if I had not had that kid, who would I be today? You know? Be- Riding a drinking fork. <laughs> <laughs> would I? Would I? I don't know. Would I have I found know. inspiration someplace else? You know, because like having a kid, like most of my successes in life have been based mainly off of fear. You know, fear is a like major. Like I can't let this kid die. That's oh, the totally, man. Yeah, like I. I <laughs> That's like, where I draw the line. I've killed tons of fish, lost tons of pets, and then here I am, like holding a baby, and I'm just like, oh my oh, god, no. what am I gonna do? You know, so like, oh fear, man, I need some money. <laughs> I, I need to get some of this dirt off the walls. Yeah, totally. You know, I I I wake up one morning and she's sitting in the corner. She's like one, and she's like chewing her tongue or something. And I'm like, what is this? And I reach in her mouth and I pull out a mosquito hawk. She's sitting in the corner of my house eating a mosquito hawk, and I'm just all like, well, man, I'm going to have to. She's more useful than I was at Yeah, (laughs) i got to kick up my parenting game, you know. She takes care of the insects. That's good. Yeah, so. so, uh, (laughs) That's terrible, man. That's absolutely terrible. All right, so uh, our guest tonight is uh, exciting. Uh, We have Earl Gray. We're going to have to find out what's up with that name. That name is Over the Top. Yeah, I I have this weird feeling there's going to be some great story behind it. There better be. Yeah. Unless he he tells us that he's the 19th Earl of Grey. Yeah, I I don't know. You know, there really was an Earl of Sandwich. I I know, and I love that. That's one of my favorite facts about sandwiches. Reality, (laughs) basically, about just life, the universe, people, everything. Right, right, yeah, totally. Um, So uh, Earl Grey is... Man, he's got a long title. (laughs) All right, so uh, let's bring up the title here. Earl Gray is the Assistant State Director of Southern California, a chief at MUFON, a chief field investigator, and star team at MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. For those of you who don't know what the Mutual UFO Network is, it's a collection of uh, researchers who really sort of try to follow the scientific principle and collect data on UFO sightings. Yeah. And if you're anything like me and you're a nerd, you first heard of MUFON on the X-Files. We don't have any nerds listening to the show, Chauncey. Yeah, yeah. Jared raises his hand. <laughs> Jared knows. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would have been the X-Files for, for me, except I was born later. So for me, it was fringe, but right. same idea. All right. You know, uh, I don't know. How much time do we got here? About two minutes. All right. You know Jake, uh, who I work with, you used to work yes. with, I do the Being Found show with? He was going off about I how... I have no memory of my former co <laughs> Yeah, I'm just making sure. Clarify. <laughs> um, he was going off about how he's been marathoning his way through all of the X-Files. Oh, boy. 
And that, is he ready to come on the show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that it was a really interesting sort of timeline of the evolution of the personal computer and cell phone. Oh, yeah. Because as you watch each season back-to-back, you know, it's like in the very first season, she's like Doogie Hauser, you know. She's always, like, writing her little thing at the end. And, like, it's fully, like, like green text on a black screen, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. And their cell phones are huge. And right. in the first season, they didn't even have them at all. They got to get to a phone booth to call the main office, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then he also said it was a really interesting timeline of people's glasses. Yeah. That uh, glasses were, like, all kind of wiry and weird in the beginning, and then they got all kind of fashionable towards the end. Well, the truth is out there the in terms of glasses. is <laughs> out there, and so is a commercial break, which is what we're coming up on, to. You are listening to Radio Wasteland. When we come back, we have our guest, Earl Gray, from the Mutual UFO Network. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, Earl Gray. Uh, Earl, you have a very long title. Let me cover this here. Assistant State Director, Southern California, MUFON, Chief Field Investigator, Star Team at MUFON, which is the Mutual UFO Network. Did I get everything? Yeah, I'm also actually a member of uh, Kathleen Martin and Denise Stoner's uh extraterrestrial research team now so you have to i guess i have to amend that on my business card <laughs> elsewise <laughs> totally you're gonna have to have a business a guy. you're gonna have to have a business card that has like another little flap that flaps down so that you can uh cover your big title yeah um you know our our very first guest that we ever had on this show was dev rooney um at the time i'm not sure what she does now but she was a uh, the assistant director of the Northern California MUFON, and, and she was our very first guest. We had, like, uh, five shows where we were first starting out. We didn't really kind of know what we were doing, so we were just kind of winging it, and she was, like, our first guest, and, and uh, really it was a great success. And and, uh, and so, that's why we have guests. And now. that's why we have because guests all the time now, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're really happy to have you um, back on the show. But the first thing that i got to tell my audience is your name is Earl Gray, and there is no way that that doesn't raise an eyebrow. How'd you get a name like Earl Gray? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how that happened. Um, and it does raise eyebrows sometimes. Uh, I'm a musician, and around uh, 1989 or so, uh, I was I was playing a lot of gigs out here in Los Angeles. And uh, I happened to hang out at an old uh, sort of a a coffee house gathering place called the Iguana that was out here in the San Fernando Valley. And it was sort of a hangout spot where Don Joe from the band X would hang out. Uh, I'd, I'd wind up, you know, opening up and sometimes even jamming a couple times with Exine Cervenka from X. And, you know, everybody had had uh, their little musician pseudonyms. Well, this show knows and, that I am uh, a punk rock, garage rock fan, so I am definitely a fan of X, so I'm excited already. There you go. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So, you know, my, my birth name is Earl Anderson, and uh, I was playing one club where Eric Anderson would play, and, and they would, they would you know, sometimes our audiences would get confused. They'd come out on the wrong night. So everything kind of led me to, uh, you know, I, I sort of need a, a different, you know, musician name and something more memorable. And uh, so I was, you know, I guess I was at uh, 
the store or something. I saw a box of uh, Earl Grey tea, of course, and I started laughing. I was like, wow, that's free advertising. You know, I'd play a lot of acoustic <laughs> gigs and coffee houses. You right. know? And so there I am on the menu, right? You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that so is that was funny. 1989, and uh, now my kids call me Earl Grey. Everybody, nobody really knows me as, as Earl Grey Anderson, except, uh, you know, I kind of use that hat move on. The, the full uh, the full title, but uh, Earl Grey, uh, I don't know, it served me pretty well, I thought. I haven't had any, you know, not yeah. any real negative uh, well, with situations the... with it. I, I guess it could, could maybe could scare an experiencer or something if they thought perhaps that was a hybrid or <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so far. You know, with so a name like Chauncey, I haven't gotten many nicknames throughout my life, so uh, I'm impressed. I need, I need to come up with a moniker. No, uh, Chauncey's perfect. I know, I know, I know another Chauncey actually. Do you? Another musician. <laughs> well, clearly he has to die. <laughs> right, totally. There can only be one. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, okay, so <laughs> without going into MUFON um, yet, uh, really, <laughs> what led you there? You know, what was you know everybody had a first experience that really got them interested in this stuff. You know, um, what sure. was your life that sort of steered you in that direction? Um, it, for myself, it happened at a very young age. Um, my mom was Howard Hughes's personal secretary. She worked out at the Hughes Aircraft Building that was out here, you know, on Santa Monica Boulevard and Sepulveda, I think, was, was kind of the area where it was at. And uh, she used to speak with him through an intercom system. Uh, at this point, he was being very reclusive. And I think my mom had originally been uh, hired as a stenographer. She was, you know, one of those who, who could do shorthand without batting the eye. You know, everything that she would write was in shorthand, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyhow, she was working for Howard Hughes, and he started sending her out to locations uh, to do his bidding and to, you know, to, to also do the stenography work, I, I guess. So my mom started working in military, deep underground military labs. Now, when I was about five years old, she told me this story where she said, well, there's a little city under the desert that people don't know about. Son. Um, I went out there, and, and you go down in the elevator. takes you way, way, way down, and the doors open up, and there's a little town, you know, where they get around in golf, you know, golf carts. You know, they had a movie theater, cafes. Um, and this was back in the 1950s. Uh, as best as I can, as, as I've been able to gather, it was probably around 1956 to 58 when she was going out there. Um, so that was, you know, one of those things where as a little kid, your parent tells you something and it's kind of, uh, oh, you know. I didn't really think a whole lot about it. I don't know. It's got uh, my imagination reeling as is. You know, it makes me think of all these great movies and stories. And, man, that would fire up my imagination at that age. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. It was the beginning of the space age. I mean, I was growing up watching the, the Mercury launches and, and all that. And uh, later on, you know, I mean, my mom was more or less breaking her security clearance telling me that. But, you know, I, kept, I guess that she thought that I was young enough that I would forget about it. Problem is, I kept bringing it up. 
<laughs> and uh, I don't think it bothered her too much at first because she had retired from the business. She was trying to be a housewife. Um, but later on, she went back into aerospace. She was actually she actually wound up being a headhunter for Lockheed Skunk Works, as well as uh, she worked a lot for Rocket Dine out here and uh, the, the Rockwell Science Center, but primarily for Lockheed. Um, so, at, at, like around uh, the mid mid seventies, she really clammed up. She wouldn't talk about it at all because. She was using her security clearances again. Um, but going back when I was a kid, uh, my mom never really talked about them in the same subject line, but my mom seemed to know an awful lot about extraterrestrial life. I mean, she would bring it up every once in a while, and she would say things like, you know, uh, that uh, it was a very real phenomenon, that we know about it, that UFOs, you know, while some are hoaxes, uh, it's a very, it's actually a real thing that you should laugh at the subject. And so I grew up hearing, you know, about the underground lab that my mom worked in. And then I grew up hearing her talking very authoritatively about extraterrestrial life, as if it was a given, as if we knew that it was out there already. Um, now it wasn't till later in my life, maybe when I had read, uh, the day after Roswell or something. I wasn't really a UFO guy. You know, I didn't really read the literature. I read a lot of science fiction. I was always obsessed with outer space. Um, but then I started putting it together. It's like, oh, you know, so the underground labs have something to do with the extraterrestrial thing. So I started getting a little more pointed with my questions. <laughs> right. She didn't like and that. And at this point, yeah, my mom would get mad, you know, when I would bring it up. It's just like, I can't well, talk about it. Earl, let me cut you off there. I, I like where this is headed to, but uh, we are coming up on our commercial break, and uh, I don't want to miss any of it. So uh, you are listening to Earl Gray from the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, here on Radio Wasteland. Come on back. Welcome back to Radio Wasteland and our guest, Earl Gray, from the Mutual UFO Network. Earl, when we left and we went to commercial, you were telling us that you had gotten to a point where you really started to get interested in aliens and UFOs beyond uh, reading science fiction. And your mom had known something due to her work, and your questions were starting to get a little more poignant and a little more to the point. Uh, although I think I just... Was a little repetitive there, but uh, can you pick us up from there? Sure. Well, you know, there were a couple of, you know, just a few instances where my mom became more transparent and started talking. And I found that if I took her to movies, I could get a little more info. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it kind of became a thing. And the, probably when I really hit the jackpot was I took her to see Star Wars when it first came out in 1977. And uh, there weren't a whole lot of people in the theater. It was the first week the film had come out. Uh, I just, I'd read about it in Time Magazine and took her, you know. And after the film, she started talking about it. She was really excited. She was saying things like, uh, you know, son, Star Wars is not all that far-fetched. Um, there really is intelligent life out there. We know about it. And, uh, and she would 
she started talking a bit, and then it was like she would catch herself, and then she'd clam up. But, you know, for some reason, that film really moved her, and, and I got a little bit more out of her. Um, she actually said that, yeah, we, we know. I mean, it's already a given in certain circles and in the government and aerospace. Uh, she didn't elaborate on that, uh, so I took her to see the movie E.T. a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, well, let's see what, what we can hear now, you know. And the only comment she had after that film was, was that, uh, well, it's a cute film, son, but I don't think they're all that nice. And that was it. Oh, that's terrifying. Yeah, that's yeah. worrying. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know that I agree with that, you know, myself. Just in my own research as a, as a you know, chief field investigator for MUFON, I'm, I'm finding that there's, there's more that while some people are horrified by the ontological change that happens in their worldview and their philosophy of, of things, that once they get past that, uh, I think that uh, it was Edgar Mitchell's group, the, the free uh, research group, uh, they, they did, uh, many, you know, they, they, they pulled like thousands of experiencers and 60% of them were asked the question, if you could stop being taken today, would you have it end? Uh, 60% of them said no, that it had actually been a positive in their lives. Yeah. That they had, um, you know, things like psychic abilities and empathy and, so, you know, I don't even know, you know, I think that my mom was coming from a military point of view, that, that you know, it's just, uh, obviously a national security threat. Totally, a post-atomic uh, post point of view. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Now, my mom, towards the end of her life, she, through her life, she kept getting uh, unrelated cancers. Uh, she kept getting, I mean, she she must have been radiated and and. and we finally talked about it towards the end of her life. She was dying. She was on her deathbed. And she became more transparent again. You know, it was right around where uh, Bill Clinton had, had actually said there is an Area 51. And the reason why he had to disclose that was, was because there was a successful lawsuit that was brought against them by uh, a bunch of former employees who suffered health problems from whatever they had been exposed to. And so I tried to get my mom to lawyer up and to go after them. You know, it's like, you know, you, you've got to go to your, you know, I mean, my mom had had this extra money coming into where she would go take a Europe trip every single year, you know, and, 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 and it, but I felt like, well, you know, nothing's worth your life. And her comment towards, you know, it was maybe two weeks before she actually passed away was, that she uh, knew exactly what she had been getting into, that she was doing her patriotic duty for her country just as a soldier would do and taking the risks of going into battle, and that she wouldn't sue anybody and she wouldn't change anything if she could. Um, so that kind of, that was that, you know. And that was all that she really disclosed to me, you know, other than that she worked in, in deep underground uh, labs in the middle of the desert. She talked about, I mean, she, she knew people like um, Werner von Braun. She said that she knew him. He was a charming man, she said. Um, 
you know, she, she, you know, she would sometimes in, in my life, you know, she would punctuate conversations with these, you know, kind of outrageous things, but it's like, well, you know, you know where I, how, what I was working in, and I actually did know, uh, Werner. He was very charming. He called me Betty Grace. That was her first <laughs> name, middle name. All right. Sort so, of like as a, as a pet name. Right. So, so I, that is, is absolutely amazing, and it gets you here to move on. Um, for our audience, maybe you can give us a brief, Explanation of what MUFON is. Well, we are the oldest and uh, and uh, well, the oldest UFO research group in the world. Next year will be our 50-year anniversary. Uh, we have 3,000 members, or I think it's 4,000 members worldwide. And the thing that's distinctly amazing about MUFON is, is that you can become a hands-on UFO researcher with a caseload. I started looking into MUFON. I knew that, you know, I became very armchair detective about the UFO uh, phenomena after my mom passed away. That's when I started actually getting very serious about it. And MUFON offered me the chance to go out and research UFOs with, uh, you know, contemporary, you know, people will, you can go to the MUFON, you know, MUFON.com, and you can fill out a sighting report if you see a UFO. And you will get uh, people that are knowledgeable in the phenomena and that will go out and will research your UFO for you, see if there are other corroborating witnesses that may have seen the same UFO. And uh, it's, you know, we, we use a scientific method. More or less, we use the guidelines that J, uh, J, Dr. J. Allen Hynek uh, set back during the Project Blue Book uh, period back in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. So, uh, or 60s and 70s. And, and that's the way that we research them. You know, it's the scientific study of UFOs for the benefit of human, of, of humanity is, is our, uh, little creed. And it really is that way. So as a, uh, as a field, I, in, I'm sorry, as a field investigator, um, you know, I, I think the number one thing on a lot of listeners' minds who are, who are captivated by this, have you found anything really quite amazing when you're out there uh, doing the field investigations? Anything mind-blowing? I've had some mind-blowing cases. Some mind-blowing cases. That's the best answer um, to that question. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite answer. <laughs> I don't know if I just have a propensity for it or if I've just been lucky, but I've I've been doing this for about three and a half years now, and I have 16 confirmed unknowns, which, you know, an unknown is how we classify uh, actual UFO. And we want evidence. That's that's the main thing. Uh, you, everybody seems to have or has heard a UFO story, but we want witnesses. We want, uh, we want Geiger counter readings if there was a landing or a... Uh, you know, it's just like we, we approach it very scientifically. Mm-hmm. Even though the phenomena has a has fuzzy edges to it, you know, I mean, the more I look into it, the more I think that quantum entanglement is has a lot to do with how they travel, how they uh, seem to have telepathic influence on us, uh, the way that they can communicate with people. Uh, but I've had, you know, I've had many uh, 
experience or cases where people have been taken or visited. Uh, some of them, yeah, I mean, I have one guy who is a Homeland Security, a, who is a Homeland Security agent, actually a very important one locally here. And uh, from the age seven up to right now, he's had recurring visits from uh, extraterrestrial entities. And this is a guy who, you know, I mean, he's looking after our national security, you know, and airports and such. So, uh, you know, I have people from all walks of life. Uh, I had another case last year that actually got, uh, for the book that MUFON just put out, The Year's Best Cases. Um, and I had two women in Azusa, California here, who took chase after two UFOs in their car. Hmm. We had a, another unrelated, uh, another witness who saw the same thing in the next town over. Uh, they saw the UFOs coming, and he saw them going. Uh, so I had a, a third corroborative witness on the case. And more or less, these women chased after Earl, mm-hmm. uh, let me cut you off there. We're coming up on the commercial break. We'll pick this story up when we come back. You're listening to Earl Gray here on Radio Wasteland. Come on back. Back to Radio Wasteland and our guest Earl Gray from the Mutual UFO Network, better known as MUFON. Um, when we went to commercial break, you were telling us about one of your experiences uh, as a field investigator where uh, the two women had seen the UFO and taken off chase after it. Guy in the town over saw the UFO coming and the women coming after it. Is that right? The women saw it approaching and the guy in the next town over saw, saw them leaving. It was two UFOs. I guess you would you would call them orbs. They were these orangish red orbs, hmm. about the size of a car, and they saw two of these that were just sort of chasing over the treetops, and they took chase after it in their car. Uh, drove sort of a circuitous path through downtown Azusa, and finally they got caught up in a cul-de-sac near a park that's in Azusa. They watched the two orbs continue towards the. I guess it's the uh, San Bernardino Mountains or the San Gabriel Mountains, uh, the range that's there. And they were hovering doing uh, what what we call the falling leaf motion, sort of going up and down, uh, just hovering there. So they're watching this, and then there's this light behind them. They turn around, and hovering over the house that was next to the park was a full-on, well, best I can describe it, a flying saucer. It was 35 feet approximately, uh, 35 feet across, and uh, it looked like it had camouflage or sort of a, a it, it was blinking in and out of existence as it hung there. So you would see the saucer, and then you would see it disappear for a second, and you would, but you would still see the little orbs that were under it, which seemed to, they, the, the woman uh, thought that it was probably something to do with the propulsion system. Mm. Mm. So they watched this hanging there, and it just it, it hung there for a while, and I guess about uh, a couple of minutes, and then it just took off. It was gone. Uh, now, these two women were very intelligent. Uh, I, I grilled them and grilled them. Uh, they'd been interviewed, I guess, three different times just extensively. Uh, our state director, uh, Jeff Krause, came out and interviewed them uh, independent of myself. 
And it was a good enough case that uh, BuzzFeed actually came out, and they did a did a episode on this UFO sighting. Mm. Um, and and there you go. That's kind of the end of that story. Right. But it was a really good and confirmed, and, and that was uh, that was actually chosen as one of the better UFO cases of last year. Right. Right. And because that was my of, case because of all the corroboration. You know, we have guests on this show, and some of them are. Um, when it comes to aliens, it seems like some people have this. Um, idea of what they're up to and some sort of global conspiracy thing. There are these people who are um, mentally connected and communicating with with Zeta Reticuli. <laughs> and then there are uh, these sort of nuts and bolts um, researchers that are all about the facts of paperwork and putting this stuff down. And so I bring this up to, to let our listeners know that MUFON is, is um, while the members may have their separate belief systems and thoughts, what MUFON itself is collecting is really sort of nuts and bolts facts and testimonies and and and, and very scientific, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, very and, much so. And and that's something I, I mean, really we would have brought out a Geiger it, yeah. counter to the hover point. Uh, we would have, you know, done soil samples, but the gentleman that owned the house was adamantly against it. You know, I guess that he was he was a, a religious fellow. And he <laughs> He well, that's the you know his whole attitude was get off my property. So I see. unfortunately, <laughs> we weren't able to follow it up as as well as I would have liked to have because I believe we would have you know it was hovering over this old tree and I I think that we probably would have gotten material evidence. You uh, know, at least uh, you know a geyser counter hit off of it. Right. Um, but that's the way we do it. We're very scientific about it. We don't have uh, too much more time in the uh, interview, so. I want to ask you a question that um, that I like to ask any UFO researcher, and I realize this is conjecture. It's a little a little contrary to what MUFON does, but I'm always curious about what the intention is of these alien visitors. Do you have any speculation, or have you come across anything that really sort of tells us the intention? Like, why are they even here? Why would they abduct people? Why... Why be here so secretively? You know, what it, uh, do you get what I'm asking? Yes. Um, well, my personal view, and it doesn't mean that this is the reality, but it's just, uh, we, like you're saying, we, we all kind of, of course, have, you know, what, our personal thoughts on the issue. And uh, I think that they may be doing something about human evolution. Uh, I think that we're kind of a dangerous species, for one thing. I mean, just look at the wars and you look how they, you know, how we've had UFOs that have hovered over and, and even uh, shut down missile systems. They're obviously trying to tell us something. And there are those that believe that they're trying to, to kick up our evolutionary, you know, path a little quicker <laughs> before we destroy ourselves. Right. I mean, I kind of think of Earth as a wild animal park. I think that you know they they come here, they 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 tranquilize us, uh, they track certain people, uh, they do medical experiments, and it reminds me very much of an animal sanctuary and how the caretakers sort of treat the animal uh, sanctuary. And maybe that's what we are. Yeah, I was actually uh, talking so about that. Hypothesis. Guys. I think I was talking about this a show or two back where basically I grew up watching uh, nature shows, and it's not like the monkeys knew they were being videotaped and tracked. 
and that uh, all the rest of us were sitting back here watching monkeys thinking how interesting it is, <laughs> and that that might be yeah. what you're saying, you know. Yeah, I think that uh, we we haven't had full disclosure. I think that it may actually be the our visitors that that are that don't want us to to have full disclosure. It would kind of destroy what they're doing right now. Right, right. Well, it's it's amazing how some of these science fiction shows and writers, you know, end up stumbling across things that are are truths and stuff like that and. And one of those truths might be this Star Trek Prime Directive where, you know, maybe we're hovering on some level where we're getting close to figuring it out for ourselves, but we're not ready for the communication, you know, um, where we're getting close to being there where where it's undeniable. But maybe they're saying, like, no, we don't want this crazy monkey channel up in our space station, you know, um, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it. I mean, you know, nobody wants a rhino in there. That's what <laughs> you know? I think the prime directive might be a very real thing. That maybe Gene Roddenberry knew something. I, I don't know. He was old Navy, I guess, wasn't he? Yeah, um, but they don't even have to know anything. I mean, human imagination. You know, I think a big part of the problem is that human imagination, you know, ends up creating these science fiction shows, and then when people start to propose it as a real thing. People go, oh, well, Gene Roddenberry already came up with that. And, and you can say, well, yeah, he was smart. He came up with a, a totally plausible answer. That doesn't mean that the answer is not true. You know, I, I find that that um, anything that has been made into something fiction, if you bring it up as a possible real thing, people kind of automatically kind of scoff at it a little bit. Yeah. No, that's – yes, there is that. And, and of course, the, the phenomena has had a, ridi a ridicule factor. From uh, you know day one, uh, but there's obviously a lot of people in the government that take it very very seriously. Uh, we're seeing the release of, of some of these videos from uh, you know the to the stars group now that were you know the Nimitz affair that happened in 2004 apparently was a real thing. Um, you know there's still some question marks around the details of it, but. Um, you know, it was certainly uh, real enough that they sent up a bunch of F-18s to, to you know, go after it. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, it, it's a, it's very serious, you know, taken very seriously in, in the government and, and in the military. Uh, but there's the scoff factor that, that happens out here. And it's still there to a certain extent, but it isn't as bad as it used to be. I mean, now it's kind of cool if you see a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, that's the problem, you know. I mean, I have to. I mean, ninety-five percent of what I have to do for MUFON is tell people why what they saw wasn't the UFO, you know, because everybody wants to see one now. And there's a lot of drones and a lot of Chinese lanterns, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, Mars has been really bright lately. And then we've got Elon Musk shooting stuff up from uh, Vandenberg over here. Right. I think we had eighteen different UFO reports on the. Uh, <laughs> Dragon uh, Nine ship that, that he sent up last year. Oh, I have to close about half of those myself. It's about hours worth of paperwork for each one, but uh, there you go. It's right. worth it when you get to the real UFO. Well, I'm really a prime example of this. You know, I have never seen a UFO. I have never had a paranormal experience. I just um, have talked to enough people who have that I find it incredibly interesting, and and I want to know more. You know, uh, we're coming up on the end of the show here. Um, can you tell our audience a little bit more about how they can find out about you and how they can find out about uh, MUFON? Certainly. 
Uh, well, we have Los Angeles MUFON.com or MUFONLosAngeles.com, which is our local group here. Uh, I encourage everybody to go to MUFON.com, the main uh, website for our organization. You can become a member, or if you so desire, we need field investigators. We have a, a lot of UFO sightings here in Southern California, and I'll put you to work. I mean, you'll be mentored, and uh, we'll put you to work. And you can do that by going to MUFON.com and just click uh, on how to become a field investigator. That's what I did, and uh, it was one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. Um, love to have you. Love to have you on again. I can totally tell that that we could have gone on through a couple more. We we probably could have spent the entire show on your one investigation because you know there's there's a lot there. You know, I mean, obviously, yeah. it's an investigation. If it if it warrants an hour's worth of paperwork, I'm sure it warrants an hour's worth of conversation. All right, you've been listening to Earl Gray here on Radio Wasteland. Thanks for checking us out. All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. We've been listening to our guest, Earl Gray, of the Mutual UFO Network. I'm not going yeah. into that whole title. You can research him <laughs> online. Look up uh, MUFON.com, MUFON from Southern California, yeah. and you can see his extensive, that title, Earl Gray Esquire. Then head on over to his Facebook, look through his pictures, maybe make a shrine. Totally, yeah. So uh, what would you think of that guest? That was totally interesting. It was interesting. <laughs> you know, I felt that we could do a whole show on his mom. Yeah, you know, we always ask that first question, you know, how do you get into this? Yeah. I and mean, it's an important question, but it almost never yields that kind of fruit. It's like, well, yeah, I had yeah. a mom who, you know, probably brought food to E.T. or something. Right, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. brought the Reese's Pieces. Although she exactly. did say that the E.T. was was a little too nice of a kid's movie for, for the reality. Yeah, well, you know, like the crusts cut off at sandwiches it was right. a real jerk yeah totally so. crust cut off that et sandwich exactly yeah uh but yeah I, I really enjoy um these i i say it all the time these nuts and bolts guys you oh know? yeah i because there's there's some reality there you know the other ones get my imagination running mm-hmm. and i like my imagination running right but i like to have something to anchor it to and uh, yeah. You know, I feel that MUFON's done a pretty good job at at creating this, taking these people, and you know all these people have their own different views oh, absolutely. Of, of what is beyond, but they're all sort of tying themselves Right, to, I think it would be really hard to be a UFO investigator and not have some kind of idea. Yeah, well, And to really just be like, like the official line is, we're just collecting data, we don't know. But that's not how people work, right? As, as people, you know, we've... <laughs> We collect data, and we've got to come to some other, some kind of conclusion with the data that we right, have. Otherwise, right. we go crazy. And uh, you know, I asked him the the question that I asked so many, mm-hmm. and that is the intention. And he hit us with uh, one of the same ones that a lot of people have yeah, been hitting us here lately: idea. is that uh, we're an intergalactic zoo. Yeah. Um, personally, I don't like that. I don't like it. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not coming down on him or mm-hmm. any of the other people who put it out there, but I find, I don't find that intention to be... That compelling, yeah. That compelling, I, I don't. Um, yeah. You know, the intergalactic Jersey Shore, uh, I, I don't think that's it, you know. No, I, I think they could, you know, aliens could probably get their, their kicks elsewhere. But. Right, 
Right. Although we yeah. didn't we didn't necessarily like um, the reality of the one guest, and I'll I'll just leave his name out of it. But the concept of what he was saying was that future humans were actually coming back. I found that that to makes be a, a lot more of plausible, sense to me. Actually, you know, um, instead of an intergalactic zoo, more of an archaeological mm-hmm. dig into their own history because they're lost parts. Right. You know that makes that a makes lot of sense. sense to me. I just. I don't want to believe in time travel unless there's some crazy compelling evidence. Right. Now, we did talk to, oh, gosh, I forget his name. But, you know, we, we went into time travel with that one guest, and he did have some really Rob interesting. Shelsky. Rob Shelsky, yep. yes, thank you. Yeah, he did have some some very interesting evidence. I, I don't know if it's quite enough for me right now, but, uh, you know, in most situations, if we're being visited by UFOs, you know, that they would have faster than light travel, which means they have time travel, or they don't. But if if they don't have faster than light travel, that means, you know, they've come here from their own planet, and, you know, they've even either come in, like, some form of stasis, or they've just moved so fast through space that, you know, time hasn't really passed very much for them. What but, about like a wormholes? Does that mean that they travel through time or could I mean a wormhole could take you through time. If right. it could get you somewhere faster than the speed of light, it, it can also take what you What about through like time. folding space? Same thing. What about um the If you can outrun if you can beat a ray of light to its destination in any way, then that enables you to mess up cause and effect. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. My mind's blown. <laughs> so, yet, now, relativity states that, you know, the closer you go to spe- the speed of light, um, the less time passes for you relative to the rest of the universe. So, in theory, if you could generate enough energy, you could go from here to the other end of the galaxy in, like, a week. Right. For you. For the rest of the gal, You know, for the rest of the galaxy, it would take, you know, however million many millions of years light takes to cross the galaxy. Right. So if aliens came from here to there, maybe it only took them a week, but they can't go back because they are now, (laughs) they are now one million years ahead in the calendar of wherever they came from. Right. Except, you know, not a million years, like a hundred million years, something crazy. Hence my issue with the, (laughs) with the zoo. People don't exactly, you know, and (laughs) you don't come just to, you know, hang out, look around. You don't leave behind your old civilization just to come and hang out and look around. Like I would turn to my (laughs) wife and I'd be all, hey, do you want to go to the zoo? And she'd be all, "Uh, no, I do not. Because (laughs) we have kids and family here. (laughs) Right. And I would like to stay with them. Once you go to the zoo, you can never go home. Right. You get to the zoo and you're all, that is an amazing woodchuck. Now what? Right. Right. (laughs) And now everyone I ever knew is dead. Right. And plus when I got there. (laughs) Except for the people who were in the car with me. Right. And plus when I got there, that woodchuck had evolved into a human. Exactly. You know, because that much time had passed. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, All right. So uh, people out there, what do you think? Are we an intergalactic zoo? Is this a universal Jersey Shore or what? You're listening to My money's on what? You're listening to what? All right. No, wait. (laughs) Your money's on what? You're listening to Radio Wasteland. (laughs) 
All right, welcome back to Radio Wasteland. Sean, you got some news for us here? Uh, I sure do. Oh. So, you know that elections are, are coming up in November. Yeah, the so Russians there's a lot are, of, are tweaking them. Oh, sure, yeah. Is that not your news? That's not my news. Oh. That That is in the news. We can, you, no, we can take that to be a given that, yeah. uh, you know, our, our next leader in whatever district will be, you know, Oleg. Yeah, well, on, on all my social media, anytime I see somebody say something like shady or rude or something, I'm just all, is that a Russian bot? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but what's your news? Now. No, my actual news in the vein of uh, potential congressional candidates believing weird things oh, God. is <laughs> a woman running for in the Republican primary for a House seat in not a, not state house, but like national house right. but not senate um running for a house seat in florida specifically in the miami area okay. is uh has stated my alien abduction does not define me hmm. so she was abducted says she when she was seven or so um and year years ago before she ran she talked about it on a program actually very much like this and so apparently they still communicate psychically with her they were Nordic type aliens, which apparently is a thing. Right. They yeah, were yeah. tall and majestic with long blonde hair. Right. And sexy aliens. Right. And they explained to her all sorts of truths about, you know, uh what particular landmarks in Florida may or may not be ancient pyramids left behind by aliens and, you know, whether God exists and and all this information. So she shared this, but she wants everyone to, you know, discount that when when they're choosing who to vote for because at the bottom line, she has the experience regardless of her psychic connection to the Nordic aliens. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. For one, I got to say, why is it that every time there's somebody running for office that's absolutely crazy they're running as republicans i knew you were going to say that i'm you know i'm <laughs> i'm i'm really center of center i'm trying not to pick a side i think both sides are crazy but we're gonna have to do some re research right. and get some crazy yeah, democrats so, you know, up i thought the same thing and i did some research and, and you know really it is about half of people in the u.s who believe in something weird ghosts yeah, yeah. bigfoot aliens whatever on um, of that half, uh, estimates vary on, on. Of that half, most of the people who do believe it are Democrats compared to Republicans. Yeah. Although I'm the number surprised. of independents is also is very high, of course. Um, but, uh, of course, there are a lot more Democrats. And, and, you know, studies have just varied on, you know, do Democrats or Republicans believe more weird things and and really it seems like it's a, it's a toss-up right so as far as republican like gop candidates who believe weird things well there have been two in the news recently right, right. but I, I i thought the same thing but i i do honestly think you know maybe it's just a coincidence in this case yeah plus we're <laughs> living in this post alex jones world you know and right so a lot of now alex stuff... jones is definitely like hard right wing right but you know we also have these sort of like these conspiracies that are hitting the news that people are are like believing on a political level. It's like Pizzagate. Mm -hmm. It's like exactly as soon as I heard Pizzagate, I'm just right. all like, uh, no, no. Yeah, I, I definitely think the right wing in the last few years does kind of have some some issues with uh, 
political conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah, yeah. But you know, um, the shoe was on the other foot when Bush was in office. Yeah, I guess so. Um, <laughs> you know, so last night, I'm... you know, there were lots of left-leaning political conspiracies about you know this or that horrible thing. Right, that right. Nine eleven, and we're involved, and exactly, you know, and that was mostly steel doesn't on the melt left. when you put this sort of stuff on it. <laughs> right. right, jet right. fuel doesn't melt steel beams is, right, right. is the meme right, that it right. has become. It. So. so last night, um, I'm I'm having some drinks mm-hmm. and I'm playing croquet. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to oh. make fun of me for that one. No, sorry. I, uh... I'm playing with my buddy <laughs> so Sean. So you're doing white people stuff. That's <laughs> right, cool. right, right. Yeah, so I'm in the middle of doing white people stuff last night. <laughs> and my buddy Sean, who's very liberal, uh, he... Um, I, I'm talking to him about the Bigfoot erotica. Sure. And and he thinks it's hilariously funny because okay. he's kind of into this conspiracy stuff too, you know. And, right. And I, I told him, I'm just, okay, so so you're real progressive left. So let's say you had the perfect candidate that you totally believed in, totally backed, and were totally down with. Mm-hmm. But he also wrote Bigfoot erotica. Would that be a deal breaker for you? And like less than a second went by and he said, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So Bigfoot erotica is a no-go for Sean when it comes for running for office, regardless yeah, of what side you're on. You yeah. Know, yeah. For, different me, Sean. for yeah. me, it wouldn't be really. S-H-A-U-N. Yeah. And you know, the Miami Herald uh, endorsed this candidate and they said, basically, they said, quote, she is an unusual candidate, mm-hmm. but went on to say that, you know, you can't discount her significant experience and success and all the various things she's done just on, on the basis of her weird personal beliefs. All right. Well, uh, which I would tend to agree with. I don't even know if I'd like this candidate. You know, I, I'm not there. I haven't researched her. I, I don't know if she's any good. I probably wouldn't vote for a Republican. But for me, if I like the candidate, you know, an alien abduction experience would not be a deal breaker. Yeah, I don't know. How do you know if you're getting her opinion or Klaatu's? You know? <laughs> well, here, here's my thing. It, I think it's no different than having sincerely held religious beliefs that are a little weird. Uh, I think it's no different than having sincerely held religious beliefs at all. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people, they have, quote, sincerely held b- religious beliefs, but it's kind of like... God just wants me to do whatever the prevailing sentiment of society is that I, I should do anyway. I don't know if those anyway. are sincerely held. The sincerely held ones have like a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I stuff guess. Like it gets a little. Yeah. Like, well, see. Like that, he's either talking to you or you're crazy. That would bother me just as much. That right. would, you know, e- either way, if it's aliens or Jesus Christ that you have a personal relationship right. with, it's like, okay. Yeah. I still want you for office. Uh, don't right, right. And, and, yeah, <laughs> don't get re- me wrong. It kind of does does make me go. Uh, my but it still wa- my be wife is Christian. I love yeah. her to death, and she either knows something I don't, or she's like batshit crazy. Sure, one or the other. But see, I think there's, you know, there are degrees, right? There are degrees of how much people are into this. There are, you know, I. I legitimately hear Jesus's voice in my head every morning when I wake up. Wait, what? But, like, that's one degree. And then there's, you know, I, I have this set of beliefs, which, you know, happens to align with with the Bible. And, you know, maybe you take it in a completely metaphorical sense. That's another degree. People are on the spectrum. Yeah. I, I think it's really just not fair of us because both of us are on the outside of this. Exactly. You know, I just don't understand it. All I care is that people are good people and if they're out there doing their best. Mm-hmm. So, really, now that I say that out loud, 
Well, I'd apply the same logic to Bigfoot erotica or alien or, or alien or... mental communication with the Nordics from Zeta exactly. Reticuli. All right. So question to you. Is that a deal breaker? <laughs> You're listening to Radio Wasteland. Thanks for checking us out. Thank you.